Welcome to the show. Dr. Cook and I were having such a great conversation that I just pressed record. And boom, there we were talking about New York and had so much fun catching up with Dr. Cook. And I, I hope you enjoy her. I just think she's the best. Thanks for joining us today. Stay safe. So I always say I find New York City and have always found New York City to be a very friendly place. I do too. Yes, and even on the New York subway. Yes. Even on the New York subway, I have had some incredible encounters. But, but I think living in a place such as New York, you, you develop long-distance instinct about people. You know who you can open a conversation with. Do you, oh, know? Okay. You, know, you know when it's better to look down or look away. <laughs> you do develop that skill over time in New York. You do, and I have to say, the ER also develops that skill. Yes. I was only full-time ER for five years, but I, I did a rough estimate of how many people I saw in those five years, a conservative estimate, which came out to 20,000 people in the ER setting. Wow. And so that also develops that sense. Sure. And yeah. it's, so there's no, so everybody's still wearing their masks in the city. Uh, I can't say everyone was ever wearing their masks, Sharon. Of course, you know, the masks weren't emphasized in the first few days, mm. as you will recall. And then, mm, I don't remember the exact date. The strict sheltering recommendation went out on March 22nd. Um, we were approaching that during the week preceding, but the strict sheltering went into place on the 22nd. And the masks, I don't remember the exact date, but I think it was a few days after that, that they asked everybody to wear masks. In the first two weeks, I would say there were, this is an informal estimate, 20% were not wearing masks. Mm -hmm. 2015%. Then the compliance went a bit higher toward the second week of April when we were at optimal, not optimal, at maximal surge. Mm -hmm. And now I would say we're at uh, 20%, 25%, non-compliance again. Okay. So most people are wearing masks. Yeah. So we're in phase one here in Florida. And um, I spoke with uh, Sarah Connolly, the healthcare attorney to the stars, I like to call her. Um, and she's really kind of in the thick of things with the uh, senior living facilities from here to New York. She works closely with Staten Island. And um, she is also of the mindset that you know, it's definitely, there's been some type of like, people are feeling more relaxed. We want everybody to feel like, you know, there's hope and we're going to get better and we're going to relax some of the restrictions. Here it went, you know, I mean, the beaches opened last Monday and it was like 
something you, I've never seen before over the weekend on Saturday, especially with the line behind my house backed up with traffic to go. And th- you didn't see anybody. Well, there's nobody wearing a mask at the beach. I mean, that, that's for sure. And, but, you know, uh, there's this empathy, right, about people needing to come out, needing to see people, needing to feel a part of, to feel together. So that's, it's understandable. So I, I have empathy. I don't place any judgments on what anybody's doing at the same token. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about the seniors, I'm thinking about the people that are at risk. So it's not Absolutely. to do these things really for us. Mm-hmm. Like yourself, who's climbing all of these stairs on a daily basis with your, your baby dog um, every day and taking care of herself. It's really for the compromised immune system. So would you say that people are respectful about that in New York? I mean, I guess that's the sense of what I'm trying, I'm trying to get that. The vast majority. Yes. The vast majority. Um, I go to central park at once every weekend for a big walk with the dog and, um, uh, the governor at one point said that he was going to encourage the the park police to hand out fines to people who were non-compliant because a lot of the runners were without masks, they were brushing too close to people who were compliant. For the most part, for the most part, people have been quite good. Yes. I have you know, but, but, but the masks that we're wearing, as you know, they're not protecting ourselves much. A viral, a virus particle can easily pass through those common masks, but it's to protect other people. That's why we're using, in, in my building, the experience has been very good. Everybody's been extremely compliant with the masks. Yeah. Good. In Dubai, you know, because I have, I'm a staff member in Dubai, um, you get fined $300 if you're not wearing a mask, and you get fined $300 if you're not socially distancing. So guess who's, wow. very, guess who's very compliant? And they're really enforcing it. Oh, yes. Because I haven't seen anybody handing out a ticket as yet. You know, I don't know what the cost of the fine is for noncompliance here. It exists, but I haven't seen anybody being ticketed as yet. So that's interesting. I didn't know that they even were, could ticket you. I didn't know that was. Um, I believe that passed. Okay, good. Oh. Make people more compliant. <laughs> so good. So, um, so what else have you kind of seen? I know that you've written these wonderful newsletters to um, patients to keep everybody up to date. You've done a lot of things yourself to kind of pivot a little bit, you just revamped your website that we'll share with everybody um, in the show notes today. And I highly encourage everybody to check it out because there's a lot of really, you have a lot of great content in there. So what have you yourself, what does it feel like being a physician in New York and, and doing this little shift, this little pivot in your practice? I know you've kept your, um, your employee, um, working so that was very kind of you um she's working a a limited amount of hours but still working um yeah so why don't you share with us what that's been like the shift in your business um which i know you don't like 
call a business. Well, hold on a minute, everybody. I know Dr. Cook. The mo and a majority of my doctors don't like to call it a business, which is understandable, but it still is a business. <laughs> so Sharon, um, as you know, I've been a um, somewhat somewhat resistant late adapter to a lot of the technologies, uh, even though I've had an electronic medical record for 12 years. Um, as I say, I sometimes feel that the way things have gone in the wider world of medical practice, that the physician, particularly the generalist physician, has been demoted to the status of an extension of the EMR rather than vice versa. Um, but um, I have been doing remote consults, either just audio or audio video in some cases. Um, and there are elements of that that have been enjoyable um, and um, challenging, right? Challenging and um, I do miss the personal engagement, but I'm beginning to get past it, okay? But I do look forward to uh, returning to seeing patients in the office while at the same time expanding remote services now and into the future. You know, when we try to imagine the world 100 years from now, um, did I ever imagine that medicine was going to be practiced in the same way that I was doing before this hit? Of course not. You know, did I imagine that most healthcare would be administered remotely? Of course I did. But, you know, we, um, we um, progress step by step. So, so that's been a personal challenge, but um, writing the newsletters was um, a way of helping me feel con connected to the patients. I sent the emails out, the newsletters out to everybody who was in my record that I had seen in 22 years. Now, some people come back at intervals of years. In fact, in January, I saw somebody who I hadn't seen in 20 years. 22 years, one of the first patients I saw came back. As you know, my practice is, is a consultative practice. I do not take primary care patients any, any longer, haven't for some time. But people come back after two, five, ten years. And um, I felt strongly that I wanted to reach out to everybody um, with words of encouragement and practical tips on things that people could do to help themselves in this crisis, wherever they might be sheltering, um, preventatively and therapeutically. Never pretending that anything that I was recommending was COVID-specific, but, you know, we, we see that, um, we see that the people who been most impacted from this infection, who have died, who've had significant hospital courses and returned home, were chiefly not only the 
older population, but those people with significant comorbidities, as was true of the major part of the younger people. There are a few outliers who've been, who have died of this infection who had no apparent risk factors, but you really have to delve very deeply into those histories, into those medical histories to find out, was there some common thread? Was there a genetic predisposition by virtue of some marker that was not previously otherwise known? You know? Dr. Cook, I want to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. How do you define integrative medicine? So I say that integrative holistic medicine is reclaiming medicine as it was practiced um, before the um, insurance reforms that came in progressively in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And um, both on the diagnostic and the therapeutic side, taking an integrative history of looking at the patient in the context of their personal history, their environment, their diet, their family history, and on the therapeutic side, rather than reflexly, reflexively just writing a prescription, um, looking at how uh, diet can be modified, lifestyle factors, um, and also uh, bringing naturopathic treatments into play in reasonable fashion. No. IV therapy? IV therapy as well, which is part of my practice, yes. Both IV nutrient therapy as well as um, other innovative therapies, including, um, yeah. Including, including ultraviolet and, excuse me? On-demand. On-demand pulsed electromagnetic field therapy, yes. You know, so I, 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 I want to say something else here vis-a-vis -vis integrative. <clears throat> um, when you asked me last week about the pandemic, after the show was over, um, we talked about the pandemic that followed this one of fear and anxiety and many other pandemics which have followed scapegoating all of these i began to make a list of the other pandemics that surged and i made a list of about 10 that i perceived out there but i say that homeostasis, physiologic balance, is a function of dynamic opposing forces oscillating within a range of normal. This is the classic definition of homeostasis. In a condition of health and youth, people are, are able to rapidly, the body is at, rapidly able to regain the baseline, whether it's the blood sugar being knocked 
off bean because the person has eaten a candy bar in the middle of the afternoon or because or 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 the heart rate suddenly jumps up when you sprint for the bus but it rapidly normalizes as we age as we develop illness that ability to reequilibrate is compromised and i i draw a parallel between physiologic health and societal health as well. Um, and we, uh, health in our society, our political, our economic system is also a function, I believe, of dynamic opposing forces. We need everybody. We need all of these. Now, we need government, we need corporations, and we need everybody in between also. We need small players, we need small agencies, we need small businesses, we need small medical practices. And, but we, we also need the dialogue between these different components. We need to be able to listen to each other to find that middle ground right and um this event is also making that even clearer to me and so i i fear for the future of many small enterprises that have been so impacted yes the large companies have also been impacted. But, you know, the, the ability of a large entity to, to resist huge impacts is typically greater than for small enterprise, whether it's a mom-and-pop restaurant, a mom-and-pop grocery, or a mom-and-pop medical practice. So, um, you know the risk of this knocking uh, on the on the healthcare front of knocking small practices uh, out of the field is very concerning to me. Mm. Well, yes, but of course, uh, positive Patty over here, <laughs> who's constantly living in her optimistic bubble. So I, I want to say a few more things because wait well, you- a minute. Hold up. My point is, I was listening to the Global Wellness Institute podcast this morning before I spoke to my old boss in New York, who is still immersed in wellness. And this is what prompted my question in the first place about integrative medicine. I ask this because I don't think, even still to this day, it's a very commonly used term. A lot of people don't understand, even though I think the word integrative speaks for itself. Um, It's a very descriptive word. It's a very collaborative word. And I think that with this pandemic and with all of the changes in the medical industry, we are more open to maybe some of the things that people would have thought years ago were very woo-woo. Right, woo-woo. We're very... Woo-woo. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm using Oprah's very descriptive terminology of 
<laughs> energy medicine, um, alternative medicine, um, sitting in silence, meditating, and yes, being powerful with our intentions and with our words and manifesting our lives and all of the things that you and I practice in our lives. Agreed? Yes, absolutely. That there will be this wonderful need for what you offer, especially even though you have been fulfilling that need for the last 22 years. And the, the acceptance of that has been really, um, because I, you know, I get to be on the outside. I get to be on the outside talking to all of these different wonderful healers. And the excitement almost of how the things that, like I'm drinking vitamin C, right? Um, and, and this is from one of my sustainability companies that I work with. They sent it to me. And people are so, they're embracing all of this now. They're embracing the simple, the simple practices of the medicine that you love. And that's why I wanted to, I just wanted to, to make sure I was able to infiltrate that into this conversation today, because although there will be businesses that suffer, there will be medical practices that suffer, there will be practices, if you watched yesterday's show, you will see Sarah and I very strongly say to doctors, if they do not incorporate telehealth and telemedicine, they will lose patients. That is a fact. That's not that's not something we're making up. We're, we're looking, we look at data, business data. Doctors look at clinical data, right? And that's why we incorporate it together and we, we work well together. So I just wanted to be able to, to bring light to something that you've done so well through the years, something that you've been a believer of in your own life. And this is why this is why your practice of medicine resonates with so many people that you've served through the years because you live this life yourself. And that's more of, I guess, selfishly, that's more of what I want to talk about today. How sometimes you will, you will write a poem <laughs> and you will take a walk in Central Park <laughs> to remove the, 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 even the word pandemic, to remove the pandemic from your being so you can be still. Mm -hmm. Right? Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. Those are really generous words. And yes, I do my best to, to walk the talk. And I have to say that I've seen so many of the people that I work with make... Um, great adaptive changes in their lives um and um they um i'm very proud of the people that i've worked with i feel a great honor to work with them that i know of up until now that i know of um no one has had to go to the hospital um I made a bunch of calls to my elders um, who were sheltering alone, some of them in risky neighborhoods, 
and um, um, you know, ask people to contact me in the newsletter if, or to contact somebody to contact me to, if they were in need. A bunch of my patients, a number of them were infected. Uh, a few were confirmed. A bunch think they were infected, but were not confirmed. Um, and with the exception of a couple of people who are still struggling at home, struggling but not, not, not in the way of needing to go to the hospital, with the exception of, of two people with whom I'm in contact, um, people have done very well, have resolved, uh, you know, feeling 100%. And so that's very encouraging. Mm -hmm. It is very encouraging. Um, I think that when people seek out a more thoughtful practice to keep themselves healthy, when they, when they become a partner with their physician, where they're not rushed and where they're not, and we understand, of course, it's almost so blatantly obvious, but maybe not so obvious to everybody else, that there's only one reason why a physician such as yourself has to step outside of the confined medical system is because you have a greater need to prevent your patients from falling ill to cardiac disease and diabetes, uh, you know, there's the preventative medicine has been a savior. I know in my own life and in everybody that surrounds me, um, because we are responsible for our own being. And if we want, you know, I, I always say that, you know, your health is your greatest wealth. Absolutely. And it's so, so when I have to explain, which I understand why I have to explain it, why you would have to, you know, use a cash model versus your insurance because the insurance model is not built to prevent. It's, it's meant to treat the chronic. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that there's going to be a change. Call me crazy. I think that there's going to be a greater need for um, prevention. And I think that's comforting. I think that we all need to do our part in the industry that have removed ourselves from what I call corporate medicine um, and speak about how you can design your life mm -hmm. as a practitioner today, like yourself. You can actually design a greater life for yourself. It's not very complicated, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nutrition, there's self-care, and there's more than that that you will talk about. What do you think are the, what do you think are the most important things for patients to implement into their lives during this pandemic? If you were to pick just three. You know, um, you talked about meditation and stilling the mind and I spoke to that 
I'm going to pull up something that I wrote here in one of the newsletters in just a moment. But I, um, well, yeah, uh, we, we have to look at body and mind and soul, if one is comfortable with that word, um, as, as a whole and address imbalances from all those fronts. Um, give me one moment. Well, I'll fill up the time while you do that. I think that, you know, I, I was talking about that just before we jumped on this um, call today, that you, you almost must be still in order to understand what the problem is. You almost must be still in order to be able to hear what, what's wrong. You found it? Go ahead. I, hold on one second. So, um, yeah, last week we talked a little bit about breath and breathing, and um, I said more important than, than even the diet is the breathing. Um, but I, I love wordplay, I love words, and um, I wanted to put some words of encouragement in each of these newsletters, and so I wrote a little acronym, speaking of wellness, and so, W, watch the world and wonder beyond the crisis. Sink into the awesome quality of nature, of life, of love, of resilience. Oh, my gosh, there's so much to, to stand in awe of. E, enjoy the little things, the beauty that surrounds you. Sometimes we may have to turn off the radio or the TV or whatever people's media sources, but turn off the background noise and just find something to appreciate. L, love from your depths as, as you understand it and as you can most experience that. A second L, look deeply within yourself and others and never give up, never give up. Whatever dreams, hopes you hold dear, hold, hold the image, hold the thought and let the universe help work out the solution. E, energize yourself, hydrate well, breathe from your diaphragm, move the body, Create, choose well for your mind and body. S, sing and hum, even if it's a sad song, vibrate your body and your soul. And a second S, sink into your soul and draw from its depths. So, um, that's, that's the perfect way to end. <laughs> Wellness defined that way is amazing can i ask you so you are very um into music this has been a i'm very excuse me i didn't hear that you're very um you love music you yes. Love, yes so what what instruments do you play mostly piano i i should be embarrassed to tell you i have not touched the piano but it's right there behind me this oh, i have not touched the keyboard 
bet you're I've gonna... lost my chops. I've lost my chops, but it's it's a long-term project. My brother, my brother-in-law, who's a professional musician, said, "If I dedicated myself four hours a day for one year, I could start playing bar jobs." But <laughs> <laughs> well, I that's my long-term plan. You know, when I hit eighty, I want to be playing piano bar Sharon. I love that. I love it. I think that that's, I, and I would go and see you. I would, I would sing with you. Hopefully you would, you would let me sing with I'm you. I'm counting on it. Okay, good. So I was thinking about, I have a, a very dear friend that is um, uh, an Italian uh, young lady who is an, she's an international singer. She's amazing. And I thought, you know, how could I, how could I weave my singer friend into the show? But the truth, and so that's why I was listening to this Global Wellness Institute podcast that I told you about before. And one, and just like the universe always sends me that message, there was an entire topic about music and how music feeds the soul. Mm. And how music heals us. My parents are doing Saturday night karaoke on Zoom with their family. It brings them so much joy and peace and harmony. And um, I'm quite sure I'm gonna hear about how you put your fingers on the keyboard and you started maybe to play a little music because the art, the art of wellness is so much a part of, um, of this wonderful, wonderful integrative medicine that you have. It's not- I miss the music, but uh, my chief creative outlet during these last two months has been the writing mm. and an occasional poem Yes. manifests itself even now so that 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 is key that's kept the creative flame alive uh -huh.